Merry Christmas to our neurosurgery podcast listeners. Uh, as we roll into Christmas and then the new year, JP and I wanted to reflect on 2020. I know it's been a very difficult and uh, challenging year. And on the podcast, we've tried to cover some of these new and, um, and diverse topics. I mean, we talked about coronavirus and its impact on neurosurgeons. We've talked about the match process. And we also tried to cover some of the legal aspects of neurosurgery to, to get you into the mood of what 2020 was like. Uh, JP, it's been a roller coaster of a year, hasn't it? It sure has. I mean, I, I think we all know what a crazy, tumultuous, and dramatic year it's been for us um, as healthcare workers, all of us as Americans, citizens of the earth, suffering through this pandemic. But I think it's also important to remember as we reflect back, um, we talk about psychology so much on this show, humans have such a negativity bias where the bad memories stand out in such stark contrast and we feel them so much more strongly than we do the good memories. Um, there was good that happened this year. I'm sure in all of our lives, from the experiences we went through, we learned something. I know that I personally grew and learned so much this year, both in my personal life with my family and friends, and of course, as a resident, learning the art and craft of neurosurgery. So as we reflect back, I would also say, try to force yourself to remember the good times and the good experiences that we've all had this year. Yeah, I'll echo that, JP. And, and for those of you who have um, lost friends or loved ones or uh, had ones that were sickened by this coronavirus, uh, JP and I offer our sincere condolences. It's really been a terrible, terrible year. But we want to roll into 2021 in a more optimistic way. And so we're going to be uh, having our regular Sunday episodes to focus on a different uh, if you will, vein of neurosurgical life. JP, you want to give some highlights about the next couple episodes we're going to have? Sure. Uh, a few weeks back, we had a preview of this upcoming pseudo mini series where we let the listeners know we're going to be focusing on the hobbies of neurosurgeons, the things that neurosurgeons do in their free time outside of the hospital, not talking about work, not talking about research, not talking about pandemics or legal issues, focusing on the things that make us happy when we're not operating. We had a great episode with Rolando Garcia talking about wine and his love of various wines and how he connects it to his life and his passion for it. So in the weeks to come, we're going to be having more discussions about cooking, about sports, about various things that neurosurgeons collect. Um, and today we're going to be kicking that off with a great conversation near and dear to my heart about music and guitars and the construction of musical instruments. Yeah, and for those of you who have interesting hobbies out there, please feel free to email us at neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com about your interests. We've really enjoyed reading the, uh, I don't want to call it fan mail, but I'll call it listener mail um, because people do have really interesting and exciting hobbies, and maybe we can interview you on this podcast as well. So I just want to conclude by um, thanking our listeners. Uh, we have hit a huge milestone yet again, and for a podcast that's not uh, if you will, advertise or promulgated or or really uh, out there, except for any other way than organic growth, uh, we are hitting a huge milestone. JP, you want to tell our listeners about that? Absolutely. You know, we, we've done a good job, I think, of communicating the big steps that we've all made as a neurosurgery podcast community um, since we started the show back in uh, San Francisco, November of 2019. And we are just coming up to and have hit, in fact, our 150,000th listen. Um, that is a huge milestone for a show like ours that was founded just a short year ago and is really just spread by word of mouth in a very small and insular community. And we owe it all to you who are listening right now 
um, who listen to us each week, who write to us with your suggestions, who tell your family, friends, and coworkers about the show. We really could not have come this far without you, and we look forward to continuing this process together with you, the audience. But enough of this. Let's get on with today's show. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Well, welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast and another in our mini-series on neurosurgeons and their hobbies. Now, we've covered a lot of great topics, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Schlenk. Richard is a fellow neurospine surgeon. Richard is at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the invite. Great. Now, we've had Ed Benzel on already, uh, and um, you know, tell us a little bit about what it's like in Cleveland and how you got into neurosurgery in, in just a little snippet. Yeah, as um, one of my prior mentors uh, mentioned, I backdoored my way into neurosurgery. My journey started as a general surgeon, and I was a categorical resident for two years. And then I jumped ship. Um, I was invited by Peter Carmel to uh, join their program in New Jersey in the mid-90s. And uh, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And so I, um, I you know, joined that program, and I finished that in 2002. And joined Ed Benzel uh, in the fellowship there, thought I was going to stay for a year and go back to the East Coast, but they invited me to stay, and it's been a great journey at the Cleveland Clinic. Ed Benzel has been one of the most instrumental people in my life and uh, one of the greatest mentors one could ever have. That's fantastic. I think our listeners got a feel for that during his recording and his podcast. Uh, so Peter Carmel, he was uh, president of the AMA, right? He was really quite politically well-known in medicine. Yeah. Peter was a great, uh, was a great chairman. And, uh, you know, at that time, the, the New Jersey program uh, had just risen from the ashes of having accreditation issues. And Peter came in and uh, really made it a strong program. And I was very blessed to uh, be part of that. And at that time, we had one resident per year, and it was a very uh, intimate a residency program. We had five residents, excuse me, six residents because it was a six-year program and uh, five faculty members. So we knew each other like the back of each other's hands. So so we could talk about neurosurgery with you all day, but this is about your hobbies. And quick shout out to Vikram Chakravarti. I guess he's one of your chiefs at the CCF. And Vikram had emailed us uh, indicating uh, something that I didn't know, which is that you have been um, building guitars and that, to me, is a fascinating, fascinating era. Area. Tell us a little about how this got started and what drew you to this this process of building musical instruments. You know, I think uh, this came about through my son, who's a musician. My son is a jazz saxophonist uh, by profession, and he, uh, I was kind of telling him that I was really regretful that I had never played a musical instrument and that I was near fifty at the time. And he said, "Well, why don't you?" And I. Uh, took him to heart and I took up the guitar 
and started playing. And I was playing for about a year, mostly acoustic. And my other son had a, a beat up old Stratocaster electric guitar that needed some attention. So I just decided that I was going to take the whole thing apart. And then that morphed into me modifying the whole thing. And that sent me down uh, an internet rabbit hole looking at how to modify guitars. And that led me to guitar building online. And so I'm basically self-taught. And uh, it's a recent hobby. I've been doing this for the last uh, two years. And I've built now six guitars, all electric guitars. And uh, it's really been a wonderful experience for me. I uh, There's so much overlap between what I do professionally and what I do in my workshop. And it's, uh, it's a big part of who I am at the moment. Wow. I mean, how encouraging for all the folks out there who always wanted to pick something up and thought it was too late in life or thought, oh, if only I had started when I was a kid. Um, that, that's just such a fascinating sequence of events you describe. I, I'm curious, many people without any musical background struggle to pick it up and, and develop the ear, develop the sense of rhythm, develop the coordination of the hands. But I think that's very interesting that in such a short time, you were able to master the technical aspects of, of constructing and repairing an instrument. Obviously, in surgery, you deal with mechanical uh, systems and even electronic systems, possibly. But did you have any technical background with woodworking or electronics before you got into all of this? The answer to that is a, a resounding no. So I... I took a, a deep plunge into this, and uh, I had never even put a chair together or a t table together in the past. So, um, like many of us neurosurgeons, we, when we go in, we go all in on something. And uh, when I was constructing my first guitar, which took me six months to do, I was accumulating tools and accumulating knowledge without really any mentors, to tell you the truth other than what I can glean on, on YouTube and on the internet. And I sent several guitars to the graveyard. I had a couple M&M sessions with guitars. <laughs> uh, but after I got done with my first uh, guitar creation, which is the only one that I've kept, uh, which is quite a flawed guitar, after that I was really, I was really hooked. And at that point I, I had invested quite a bit of my own personal resources into my shop and my tools and uh, my second guitar was a huge step forward in terms of my uh, craftsmanship and skill making. And, uh, and I, you know, with every guitar that I make, it, it's, uh, it's better and better than the one before. So, Rich, you know, this is such an interesting area. And I think, how old are you now? 53. Okay, so we're, we're close to the same age. And, and I love 80s music. And I think you're, you're a big fan as well. Is that correct? Oh God, yes. That's that's my uh, that's what I identify it with. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, like the the electric guitars, Sammy Hagar, Eddie Van Halen, right? That generation. But some of our listeners, maybe they didn't grow up in America, or maybe the younger folks, uh, Gen Gen Z or millennials, maybe they don't really understand the magic of '80s power rock music, right? And so, so maybe we can have just a little sampling of some of the music that is played on one of your guitars. Yeah, sure. Michael, I, I sent you a video yesterday. I, I recently got, um, com I completed something called a baritone guitar, which uh, just just to let uh, most of the listeners know that uh, a regular guitar has a length to it, and we call that scale length. 
And uh, there's some variation between normal guitars in terms of how long it is, but there's not much variation. Okay, so let's have a listen. can't imagine how cool it is to hear the sound of an instrument that you've built with your own hands. Dr. Schlenk, I'm going to, uh, I guess in this conversation, I'll be the one who gets out into the weeds and, and tries to nerd out with you. I'm a fellow guitarist myself. I've been playing since I was a child. Um, and I've, in recent years, started to do some of my own modifications and repairs, nothing at the level of constructing a guitar. And so I would love to pick your brain about some of the things you've discovered in this organic and, and self-directed process. Um, but I, I guess my first and most basic question would be, you said that you've built exclusively electric guitars. I wonder uh, wh why is that? Why steer away from the acoustics? Is the woodworking more difficult with them? Yeah, it's a completely another, it's another skill set. So the, what I akin it to is uh, a guitar, a, electric guitar making is very much like, sculpting uh there you have an existing block of wood and you just subtract what you have in front of you and you put it together and you will get the guitar uh i'm oversimplifying but an acoustic guitar is like building a dollhouse you have little pieces and you build it from the ground up from small parts and it's a completely different skill set one that i'm interested in exploring uh, but at the moment, my docket has been filled with requests to build guitars, electric guitars. Um, and uh, I've not yet taken that plunge. I'd like to. Now that, that's very interesting. And, and I think we're going to talk about those requests a little later in this episode. But if, if I could, to kind of turn that question on its head. So in, in addition to thinking about the difference between the kinds of guitars to construct, at the same time as you've been learning to build these guitars, you've been learning to play them. And so I wonder how the knowledge and your increasing technical understanding of how the guitar is put together as a machine and as an object that produces the sound you want, how has that affected your thinking as you play it and the way you approach playing the instrument? Uh, that's a really great question. So I think at this point, my guitar making skills have exceeded my guitar playing skills. Hmm. Um, I've invested a lot more time in, in uh, building than playing, but I, it, it definitely has impacted my, my, my playing and my appreciation for the guitar itself. Let me just give you one instance is that I was playing mostly rhythm guitar on, on my acoustic for several years. Uh, and like many who play rhythm guitar, uh, the, they're, they're fretting the far end of the, of the guitar fretboard, uh, which is the first three or four frets, ignoring the rest of the board. So uh, in the process of building guitars and understanding how, how the frets are laid out, it's kind of forced me to explore, uh, you know, uh, playing scales and playing lead guitar 
and uh, you know discovering different licks and creating different licks while I'm while I'm using the electric guitar. So it's it's really kind of forced me or encouraged me more more accurately to to explore the the neck because the the playing guitar is such a rich experience and there's such uh, uh, there's endless uh, uh, you know there's endless possibilities of how you can play the guitar and it's it's really freed me up. So, Rich, I, I remember hearing about this bike accident you had had. Uh, oh, was it like almost a decade ago, right? And it was it was a really uh, terrible accident. Um, and you know, we we all were concerned for you, and it was it must have been life changing, right? Yeah, it definitely was. I was uh, on a bicycle, not a motorcycle, but I was on a bicycle, and I was uh, on a flat, and I hit something, and I went head over uh, my handlebars. Uh, and I woke up in a local trauma center, staring up uh, at a neurosurgeon who I knew. And uh, so I had, uh, you know, a fairly, you know, I had subarachnoid blood and I had a bad co- concussion and, and I wasn't thinking right for a couple of weeks. And it was very humbling to me. It was obviously very close to home regarding my profession. And, you know, during that period of time, I think when you have... When you have something like that that happens, if, if it doesn't shape who you are and make you reflect about uh, the kind of things that you kind of life you want to lead, then you've, you've missed a great opportunity. So it definitely was very impactful on me. And do you, do you think that like your interest in this hobby, starting a little bit early, right? Most of the people we're going to be interviewing are are older, right? They're getting near nearer to retirement, right? Than, than you or I, and you're a hardcore academician, so you're busy. Did that drive some of your interest in to try to broaden yourself and to get into other avenues besides just surgery? Uh, definitely. I think, you know, uh, when that happened, I was in my early forties. And I think uh, what often happens with uh, young neurosurgeons is they go so in on their profession and there's a tendency for them to neglect other aspects of themselves. And so uh, I think when that occurred, it, 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 it made me reflect upon that there was, uh, sorry to say this to everybody, but there's more to life than just neurosurgery. And that I, that I, I wanted to do things that were, um, you know, that I thought were exceptional outside of neurosurgery. And I actually wanted to do things that were, uh, that challenged me both physically and mentally. And, um, and so that that incident kind of really forced me to uh, to change uh, how I looked at my own health and how I looked at um, how I was contributing, uh, or at that point, really not contributing to the community. And uh, those things uh, are are things that I'm I'm very much involved in now. Uh, I can't say it's all because of the accident, but the accident definitely caused me to pause. Well, I. I think that's such a powerful story, obviously, and I I see a common thread in some of the comments you just made. There's more to life than neurosurgery. There's more to life than playing the guitar. There's building the guitars. But from what I understand, there's even more to your hobby of building these guitars. And as you said, trying to give back to the community, Um, I understand you, you found a way to take this hobby and this new passion that you found outside of your work and transform that into something meaningful as well. Why don't you tell us and our listeners a bit about what you've been doing with these guitars and these requests that you've been talking about for building some? 
Yeah. So over the last couple of years, I'll, I'll even backtrack. I've, I've been involved in a charity organization that I helped organize. It's a running organization where we, uh, over the, the last several years, we've raised probably close to $100,000 in, in local charities through, for local charities through uh, trail running races, which is an, uh, another passion. So my, mo- my, my frame of mind was in this frame of, uh, of, of giving back. And actually, that's the name of the, our running organization, Running Forward and Giving Back. And so as, as I was crafting these guitars, I wanted to sort of align my, uh, you know, my efforts with, uh, with something that makes a difference for others. And so when I started to make the guitars, uh, I, I first made the first one for myself because uh, I just wanted to see if I could. And then the second one I wanted to make for somebody else. And, um, and that, that guitar was custom crafted for a friend who then donated $7,500 to a local charity for that. And so we've been doing that, uh, since, and, uh, and not, not all of quite honestly, not all of the, uh, exchanges have been for, uh, charitable donations. I have, uh, the guitar that you just listened to is a, a guitar that I, I made for somebody locally who uh, doesn't have much money and he is donating his time uh, to community organization uh, to, to give back uh, in exchange for the effort that I took uh, to create the guitar. Well, what a, what a beautiful uh, pathway to, to take your passion and give to your community. You know, I have a bad habit of speaking the obvious aloud, and oftentimes I think uh, things that are trite or things that are cliche are for a good reason. And and so, Dr. Slank, obviously you you found these things that you love, running, uh, playing, and building guitars, and you've turned them into something larger than yourself. You found a way to do them for others instead of for your own pleasure and satisfaction. Um, and obviously, as we're here talking about hobbies... It, it seems to me that charity and giving back to those around you is a hobby in and of itself for you. And, you know, I, I like to cook and I always enjoy cooking for other people more. I write songs and, and play music and I always like writing songs and playing for other people more. Maybe you could just for our listeners, for the sake of saying it out loud, speak a little bit about the greater satisfaction you found in, in building these guitars, organizing these runs and knowing that you're accomplishing something meaningful for the people around you instead of just having a good time playing a song. Yeah. So, um, you know, the first time that I, um, gave a guitar away, I cried like a baby. It was a, a, a really meaningful experience for me to be able to take something that I put a couple hundred hours into creating, uh, and to, uh, knock a few birds out in one stone. One was to, for me to create something that I didn't think I was capable of doing. And two was to be able to bring such joy to somebody who's receiving the guitar. And three was to, uh, to parlay that into uh, the, the joy of the recipient of the charity to, to benefit from that. So I think in any way that we could take our, our passions and knock out several birds in one stone in doing such is it's, it's a powerful thing. And, uh, and, and, and quite honestly, this is, uh, this has brought a, a lot of, you know, I'm a, I'm a work in progress, but I could tell you this has brought a lot of, um, of meaning to me. 
Wow, Rich. I mean, it's it's fa fascinating. You've really summed up three unique hobbies. I thought we would just be talking about guitars. You talked about taking up uh, the practice of performance or music or the generation of sound and then the generation of the instrument, the, the manufacturing of these, these custom-built instruments. And now the philanthropy. And I, I will direct our listeners back to uh, Barth Green's interview talking about uh, all of the great philanthropy he has done over the years. So maybe you could help our listeners out if they're interested in uh, seeing some of your fantastic custom-made uh, instruments or maybe donating or getting involved in some of the charitable organizations locally. Uh, could you give them a website or a contact or something for them? Uh, yes. So uh, my our running website is uh, running forward and giving back. If you just put that in the web browser, you'll you'll uh, it'll be the first hit that you get there. Uh, regarding uh, the the um, the guitars, quite honestly, it's been mostly through word of mouth, and I'm uh, and I'm I'm not necessarily soliciting, uh, uh, you know, for for people who are interested in guitars. Although I'm I'm open to anybody who. Uh, has a passion for helping others. And if we could uh, collaborate, that would be meaningful. But I do have an Instagram account and it's uh, called Custom Charity Guitars. Uh, and if you go on Instagram and follow me there, you'll see all that I've done over the last six months in particular. Wow. Well, Dr. Slank, I, I could talk with you for this about hours, be it the running or the guitars, um, but we need to respect your time. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today um, and, and sharing all of this in your story with our listeners. Um, uh, everything you just listed for our listeners will be linked to in, in the post for the podcast and on, on our Twitter. If you have any trouble finding any of these websites or getting in touch with Dr. Slank, don't hesitate to contact us at neurosurgerypodcast.gmail.com. Um, Dr. Slank, I had a great time when I interviewed at the Cleveland Clinic meeting you and the whole team there. It was great to speak with you again. I hope one day we can play together at a meeting maybe. Um, and as we wrap up, why don't you just tell our listeners, what's your favorite guitar in the market? <laughs> oh, I love PRS guitars. That's my favorite. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Neurosurgery Podcast, sir. Thank you.